0: In this program, we'll take a critical look at the Trump indictment and arraignment that happened on April the 4th, 2023. We'll also be discussing Woke Universities, the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, along with a bonus story in our Dictionary Wars segment. I'm your host of Narrative Wars, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and you don't want to miss this. we
1: the people, the sick and tired. Hey.
0: Let's peel back the curtain of confusion to shed light upon the mainstream media madness. And now, Narrative Wars, with your host, Jeffrey K. Lyons. We the people are
1: sick and tired, so tired.
0: Greetings, everyone. I'm your host for Narrative Wars, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons. Unless you were living under a rock, or perhaps just too busy working, as most Americans are, you probably would have noticed something very peculiar about Tuesday, April the 4th, 2023. Remember that date, Tuesday, April the 4th, 2023. It's a new marker in the historicity of the American psyche, a new day of infamy, or perhaps a new interpretation on the song American Pie by Don McLean. The song was anthemic in the 1970s, but perhaps it was much more than that. Perhaps it was also prescient. Listen to the lyrics at the end of the verse 4. No angel, no angel born in hell could break that Satan's spell. And as the flames climbed high into the night, to light the sacrificial rite, I saw Satan laughing with delight. The day the music died. Today's edition of Narrative Wars is a sobering story. It's a historic as September 11th, 2001 attack on the Twin Towers in New York City. Now, I'm not belittling the sacrifices of the heroes on September 11th, 2001. 2001. They were absolute heroes. They ran into the burning edifices on that day, and they gave up their lives to save the lives of others. They showed the greatest example of what an American is on that day. But I'm simply making the comparison that because of September 11, 2001, a change took place, a fundamental change took place in the nature of American society. It ushered in the Patriot Act, the Department of Homeland Security, new security pro- protocols at airports, increased surveillance by the NSA, and other three-letter government agencies, and more. America changed forever after September 11, 2001. Likewise, America changed forever after April 4, 2023. That was the date when former President of the United States, Donald Trump, was processed and then released in the Manhattan, New York judicial system by the district attorney, Alvin Bragg. As the result of a grand jury indictment, this has never occurred before in the history of the United States of America. Now, reading from portions of that indictment, the indictment read, the people of New York against Donald J. Trump the grand jury of the county of New York by this indictment accuses the defendant of the crime of falsifying business records in the first. Now, this is the first count in the first degree in violation of Penal Law 175.10 committed as follows. Now, here's a truly interesting part of this indictment. There are 34 counts in this indictment, 34 different Counts against President Trump. And they represent, interestingly enough, 34 checks. In other words, checks from a checkbook noted by voucher numbers in a ledger. One does not have to be a lawyer to figure out that there aren't 34 different crimes that were being noted here. The 34 counts are all for the same thing. There are 34 checks, which give... Evidence of a particular charge, which according to the attorneys is a misdemeanor in the New York state law. Now things get truly interested. interesting because it's clear that the insipid Alvin Bragg, who suffers from Trump derangement syndrome, he knows how to copy and paste. Yeah, He's really good at it, in fact. For the following language is repeated in count after count, verbatim. Throughout the document. Quote, the defendant in the County of New York and elsewhere on or about August 1st, 2017, with intent to defraud and intent to commit another crime and aid and conceal the commission thereof. Unquote. Well, first, the incompetent Alvin Bragg has to prove that President Trump had intended to defraud, and second, Bragg has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, that Trump intended to commit another crime. Well, the problem is that the other crime is nowhere stated in the indictment. So where's the other crime? April 4th, 2023, Donald J. Trump was arraigned in the Manhattan court to face charges for an unnamed crime. The Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution states, quote, in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed. Did, did you catch that? Wherein the crime shall be committed. Well, let's go back to the indictment. It says the defendant, in the county of New York and elsewhere on or about April, August 1st, 2017, with intent to defraud and intent to commit another crime. What other crime? It doesn't say. How interesting. It doesn't even fulfill the requirements of the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. But I continue. The Sixth Amendment says that you need to be have a public trial, quote, by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and the cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense, unquote. That's the Sixth Amendment, U.S. Constitution. Also in today's program, we're going to talk about woke universities that are producing woke lawyers who seem to fall into line with the new Alvin Bragg precedent of indicting U.S. citizens, including past U.S. presidents, for victimless crimes. Remember that date, April 4th, 2023, the day that the Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution was shredded and trampled upon. April 4th, 2023, the day that our Liberty Torch in New York Harbor was reduced to a weak flickered of hope. April 4th, 2023, the day the music died. Well, we're going to take a listen to Alan Dershowitz. Now, this was an interview that was done by Just the News. It was uh, broadcast over the Real America's Voice Network. And uh, just to set this up for you, Alan Dershowitz, if if you're not already familiar with who he is, Harvard Professor Emeritus, and he said Tuesday that the unsealed indictment failed to articulate any sort of crime that was committed by former President Donald Trump. Let's take a listen to what Dershowitz had to say. How big an opportunity is this for the Trump lawyers to get an early win? Well, it's interesting, and not an
1: early win, because he's not going to get a judge that will have the courage to throw out the case, but an ultimate win. Uh, You know, in my book, which I know you know about Get Trump, Trump. I went through all of the charges against him, and I went through the, the fraud issue. When you get an indictment like this against the man who's running for president, after the DA has promised to get the guy, and the DA is a Democrat, and the man running for president is a Republican. You expect to at least see reference to a victim. Where's the victim here? Who's hurt? Stormy Daniels isn't the victim. Who is the victim here? Um, and, and, And do you ever devote that much time and resources, lawyer's time, to some victimless crime? He's reducing victim crimes repeatedly from felonies to misdemeanors. And now he's trying to raise... a victimless crime from a non-misdemeanor to a misdemeanor and then to a felony um, by saying that in his mind when Trump did this allegedly he had in mind only one thing to help him win the campaign so it was a campaign contribution nothing to do with his brand which is very valuable his family which he loves uh, his friends no nothing to do with that it only had to do with helping him get elected and he had to know that at the time that he made the false entry, because he had to have made the false entry with the intention of covering up another crime. The indictment doesn't mention the
0: other crime. Well, there it is again. The indictment doesn't mention the other crime. And it's very easy to download and take a look at this document. It's not very long. It's uh, approximately 16 pages. And it's very accessible, folks. You can you can check it out. Um, don't take my word for it. Just check it out. But as you've just heard, Alan Dershowitz, the uh, professor emeritus of uh, Harvard uh, Law, ha- has said quite clearly that there was no crime. It's a victimless crime. So how do you how do you reconcile this? How do you reconcile this with the Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which clearly says that The person that is being accused needs to be informed of the nature and the cause of the accusation. Well, how can you be informed of the nature and and the cause of the accusation if you don't even know what the crime is? So, um, yes, this is extremely weak, extremely weak. This is where we're headed, folks. Um, This this is extremely troubling, and that's why I've underscored uh, today's version of, or today's episode of Narrative Wars as the day the music died. Folks, if, if the district attorney, Manhattan court, if he doesn't even look at the United States Constitution, if he doesn't even hold it to have any value, if he's just allowed to make things up and operate outside of the Constitution, then we're living in tyranny. We're living in tyranny, and the Constitution is just a piece of paper, nothing more. And this is a scary moment. This is a scary moment, because what does this mean? Well, it means that, you know, if if they can come for Trump, they can come for any citizen and basically make up any sort of charges. Does that sound familiar? How about all those people at... um, that went into the Capitol on J 6, January 6, 2020. And there were even some that didn't go into the Capitol at all that were still hounded, pursued by the FBI, questioned, harassed. So this is very, very troubling. And it could set up a whole cascade of events. It could set up an entire sort of a domino effect of extremely poor precedent in the area of law, but it also could embolden Congress to pass some very poor laws, and that's an understatement, which basically will take away the liberties that we have as, as citizens of this, this republic citizens of the Republic, of the United States of America. Well, let's move on. So we're going to take a look at this next piece. We'll continue taking a look at these payments, this timeline that occurred regarding this uh, Alvin Bragg's charges against Trump, the alleged election interference. But this is a piece by... Jesse Waters, Fox News, in which he talks to Andy McCarthy. Now, who is Andy McCarthy? Andy McCarthy is former Assistant U.S. Attorney, and he was interviewed by Jesse Waters on Fox. So let's take a listen to this. Andy
2: McCarthy is a former federal prosecutor, and he joins me now. I, what difference is there in this case? Well,, <clears throat> there's no difference uh, what i what I would say, Jesse, is uh, <clears throat> I, c- I kind of don't understand why this hasn't been more of a thing, but what Bragg is alleging is that Trump took a series of actions uh, to defraud the voting public <clears throat> in connection with the 2016 election. The indictment then goes forward with uh, all these counts. That begin on February fourteenth, twenty seventeen, and continue until December fifth uh, of uh, twenty seventeen. That's all months after the twenty sixteen election. You know, <laughs> even if uh, what he's alleging had had something plausible to it, the actions that we're talking about that that he's alleging as criminal and a method of defrauding the public in connection with the 2016 election happened afterwards <laughs> and even if in his fantasy world trump was to to conclude that the hush money arrangements were actually campaign expenditures under the campaign finance laws he wouldn't have had to file disclosure statement until months after the 2016 election was over so i don't even if you take it the way that 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 he pleads it how could this conceivably have affected the 2016 election so this case could get tossed because alvin bragg can't read a calendar and doesn't know what the law is well essentially jesse alvin bragg doesn't like non-disclosure agreements even though they're a staple of civil litigation in the united states he can't allege that trump kept information from the public because it's legal to keep information from the public. So he's got to say he tried to influence the election by these false book entries. But the problem is the election was over for four months before the book (laughs) entry started. So Alvin Bragg has no case and it should probably take about two seconds to toss it. Is that what I'm hearing? The indictment, Jesse, fails to state a crime. I mean, you've had a lot of people on who've said that, uh, you know, in order to conceal a crime in an indictment, you have to tell the defendant what crime he was trying to conceal. So the indictment fails even in its basic purpose (laughs) as an indictment, which is to put the accused on notice of what he's charged of.
0: So there it is again. The indictment doesn't even state the crime it the indictment doesn't even state to the accused what he's being charged with as we've already discussed which is a requirement under the 6th amendment of the United States constitution but even more than that former assistant us attorney andrew mccarthy points out that the timeline doesn't even work out the, time, the timeline states in the indictment that these checks were written months after the 2016 election was concluded. So how is it even possible to write checks and make non-disclosure agreement payments in 2017? and conspired to defraud the U.S. public and also try to influence the election. How, how, how is that even possible? You can't get in a time capsule and go back in time. So it's really falling apart here. And we, we had that, we've had this pointed out by Alan Dershowitz um, and now attorney Andrew McCarthy, so there are gaping holes, gaping holes in this, but it really doesn't matter, folks, because, you know, as they say, you can, you can indict a ham sandwich in a um, grand jury proceeding. Why? Because you, it's not a, it's not a courtroom proceeding. You don't have a lawyer for the defense and a lawyer for the prosecution. You just got evidence being presented, and uh, so it's, it's a lopsided proceeding, and uh, perhaps the whole grand jury scenario needs to be rethought. I'm not a legal scholar to, to weigh in on that one. In any case, the grand jury was convinced that um, this has merit, and so it, it moved forward to an indictment and then an arraignment of uh, President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, um, on Tuesday, um, the 4th of April, 2023. So that's, this is where we are. And as we've already discussed, if this goes through and if any of this sticks, well, <laughs> we're living in a new, uh, we're not even living in the United States the, the change is going to be so profound. Basically, we We will be, if this goes through, we will be living in a police state where, similar to uh, communist China, similar to the former USSR, where any sort of person who speaks out Uh, against the mainstream narrative where any person who opposes the mainstream narrative or the party in power can basically be um, hauled off and put into jail, indicted and put into jail for charges without even having to look at the Constitution, without even having to have any merit. And victimless, victimless crimes are now in the uh, playbook of district attorneys. And that would be tyranny. That would be communism. That would be an oppressive government. That would be no rule of law. And that's the direction we're headed, folks. So hopefully... Hopefully, this can be reversed. Hopefully, we're not going to allow this to take place. Hopefully, this ridiculous kangaroo court proceeding, this banana republic proceeding, will come to a swift end. They're talking about it um, possibly going to trial in December, but of course, the the defense wants to push it out even farther. The whole idea... The whole reason for this is not that it will really stick, although if it sticks, as we've discussed, that's the end of the republic. That's, I mean, we're, we're not even, we won't even resemble the United States of America. But let's say it doesn't stick. The point of that, why even bring something that is so weak sauce? Why, why embarrass yourself? Alvin Bragg, Alvin Bragg with Trump derangement syndrome. Why even embarrass yourself to do this? Well, the point is to keep Trump in a negative light in the news cycle, constantly keeping Trump in a negative light in the news cycle in order to disparage people. And you know what? It works. It works. I'll give an anecdotal story. I was in a law office about a year ago, taking care of some paperwork, and the person that uh, I was talking to, older lady, seemed to be a nice lady, Bible verses on the walls, so I just mentioned the um, election, the 2020 election, and I told her that that I voted for Trump, I figured that might be safe territory she quickly responded no I didn't vote for Trump I said oh really and I didn't say much more than that but I was I was curious and she told me why she said oh I just I don't like Trump he he has mean tweets and and you know he should he should be much nicer than that so now I didn't respond I didn't respond, but that's the whole point. It turns out this this person I spoke to had been a Christian for many, many, many years. Her husband was a pastor, but she just decided to not participate in the 2020 elections. She didn't vote for anybody. So her participation was non-participation. So she chose to do nothing, and we know how that election turned out. And it just makes me, it, it makes me curious how many people just didn't vote. You know, you might call them good Christian people. You see them on church and Sundays. They shake your hand. They say encouraging things. They might even say a Bible verse or two. They come to your kid's birthday. They come to your kid's baptism, perhaps, but then they don't vote. They don't vote because they just can't take those mean tweets from Mr. Trump. Well, if you had to endure all the things that Trump had to endure, all the false accusations, the Mueller investigation, Special Counsel Mueller, which went on for years, and it plagued and hounded and chewed at Trump's coattails like a little dog. And then what happened at the end? Nothing. Big old nothing burger. There wasn't anything to it. And then, of course, two impeachments, and more recently, his house being raided. His house being raided for a document situation which he can declassify documents because he was the president of the United States. But Mr. Biden as the vice president took thousands of documents. Apparently they just keep showing up, not very secure in his garage next to his Corvette. And he sure likes to talk about the Corvette. Don't look over there at those documents that came from that are classified came from the white house. Look at my Corvette. Look at look look at the shiny object. Look at the Corvette. Let's talk about the Corvette. Well, it was it, it was constant, and it was predictable. The moment the moment that the case with Mueller came up with a big nothing burger, there was something else. There was something else. And what was it? COVID-19. COVID-19. Trump had to shut down the country. And then Trump got blamed for everything that people weren't happy with. Schools being shut down. Businesses being shut down. Your children's education getting basically ruined for two years. Business owners going bankrupt. It was like clockwork the moment after the Mueller investigation came up with a big nothing burger, a big goose egg, a big zero. Yep, within a few weeks, COVID. So interesting, interesting how those things turn out. So uh, do you think you might put out a few tweets that you were a bit upset? Do you think you might have pushed back? You know, most people would just cower in the corner and quit. Most people would collapse. Most people would think Trump would have taken the easy way out. Most people would have thought that Trump would have just resigned like Nixon did. And Nixon was no angel. No, we understand that. But the spying that went on on the Trump campaign in the Trump Tower how he was spied on, how his lines were tapped, so on and so forth. Oh my goodness. It makes, makes it look like what happened with Nixon and the Watergate situation that that was just child's play. But I have digressed. Let us move on and let, it's time. We're, yes, it is time, folks. We are going to take a look at another dictionary wars story. All right, let's take a look at dictionary wars, and um, what have we got here? Well, we dictionary wars is the portion of the program where we we look at words, we look at vocabulary. Uh, we look at new words. We also look at the redefinition of words, of existing words. So, in this segment of dictionary word uh, wars, we're going to look at two words that uh, aren't words. Okay, what um, what do I mean by that? They're acronyms. Okay, and some of you may be familiar with this if you're in the social science field if you are um, a school counselor um, if you're on a college campus or if you just frequent the internet and you're constantly looking at influencers so on and so forth you're probably familiar with these terms but many people I would even suggest most people in the United States have never heard of these terms. So the terms are AMAB, A-M, A-B, and AFAB. AMAB and AFAB. Okay, there's many other terms that are similar, but we're just going to focus on those. AMAB is assigned male at birth. AFAB is assigned female at birth. Okay, so... Let's take a look here. Now, I'm reading from, okay, LGBTQ Nation, all right? There's no name assigned to this. It just came out July 24th, 2022, and it was put out by LGBTQNation, okay, .com. All right, so their definition of AMAB Quote, AMAB is an acronym that stands for Assigned Male at Birth. And AMAB is a person who is designated male by their doctor when they were born. This designation is also awesome, excuse me, often based on someone's external anatomy. Really? Quote, if you were born with a penis and testes, you're likely to have been identified as a boy at birth. Unquote. Wow, not exactly rocket science here, is it? We continue, quote, people who are assigned male at birth may or may not identify with that label later on in life. Transgender women, intersex people, and non-binary people may label themselves or be labeled as AMAB, unquote. Okay, well, let's take a look. We're going to move on. Let's take a look at... um, the definition of AFAB. Okay, the meaning of AFAB. It's an acronym that stands for Assigned Female at Birth. Like AMAB, AFAB is a label, not a gender identity, that can help people better understand their own relationships with gender. Transgender men, intersex and non-binary people may label themselves or be labeled as AFAB who can identify as AFAB, anyone who is labeled female at birth, whether based on their external anatomy, internal organs, or chromosomes is AFAB. You don't have to be transgender or non-binary to be AFAB. Well, there you go. And does that make it any clearer for you? Um, Perhaps it does, perhaps it doesn't. But let me just summarize by saying the terms male and female can be offensive to some people. And you can hear this expressed in the terms misgendering. And so just to conclude this portion of the program that we call Dictionary Wars, this is what's going on. Male and female, those terms, those terms are out. According to the LGBTQ community, the terms AMAB and AFAB are in, along with many, many, many other terms, which we just, (laughs) we don't have time. We don't have time, but we continue. All right. You know, I've been thinking about this and... um, the transgender issue and i'm trying to make sense out of it and uh we've been looking um here at narrative wars we've been looking at a lot of material in order to try and make sense out of this um and really you know the question comes up when when did all this begin when did all this happen in terms of afab amab uh, gender misgendering uh so on and so forth and it's a rather recent phenomenon. Certainly didn't happen, wasn't going on when, when I was a child. Yes, there were those that identify themselves as being homosexual, but the terms AMAB, AFAB, those those terms were completely unknown, unknown to me as a child. Well, let's take a listen to this cut. Prager University, this is Abigail Schreier, and the piece is called Why Girls become boys.
3: If you know any middle or high school girls today, or if you are one yourself, it would not be surprising if you know someone who identifies as transgender. The latest statistics indicate that 2% of American high school students now identify as transgender, and the overwhelming majority of them are teenage girls. Between 2016 and 2017 alone, the number of females seeking gender surgery in America quadrupled. But if you graduated high school over a decade ago, it was unlikely that you knew anyone who was transgender because, according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the condition underlying it afflicted roughly 1 in 10,000 people, or 0.01% of the population.
0: So the condition was extremely rare prior to 2016, 1 in 10,000 but today you see approximately 2% of the population, approximately 2% of the population identifying themselves as as transgender. And the overwhelming majority of those people are women. How interesting. How interesting. And in fact, if you go on YouTube and you try to... Um, find some conversation about afab amab which is which is what I did in my research for this program you're going to find a lot of youtube videos and guess what the overwhelming overwhelming i'd say 98 99% of those videos they're all females they're all females either teens or in their early 20s so you know it's not a very scientific study you know what i saw in terms of the representation of the videos on YouTube, but it certainly caught my attention, and Abigail Schreier is bringing it out in a more scientific um, fashion. So the story continues.
3: Almost none of these cases were teenage girls. In fact, before 2012, there was no scientific or medical literature discussing adolescent girls who wanted to transition to the opposite sex. That doesn't mean that we didn't know about transgender individuals. Gender dysphoria—the severe discomfort in one's biological sex—has been studied for nearly 100 years. It almost always involved boys who began feeling it between the ages of 2 and 4 and were strong and persistent in their assertions to everyone around them that they were really girls. When a phenomenon that affects one half of a population—boys—suddenly begins affecting the other half—girls. And when its age of onset shifts from preschool to adolescence, something significant is happening. In 2016, Brown University public health researcher Lisa Littman began studying the sudden spike in trans identification of teenage girls. She concluded that peer influence and social media influence had a lot to do with this trans teen phenomenon.
0: Peer influence, social media influence. Did you hear that? If you're a parent, did you hear that? Why do you give your kids cell phones at an early age? Why do you give them access to TikTok and Tumblr and Instagram? The story continues.
3: After all, based on parent reports, none of these girls had exhibited symptoms of gender dysphoria at the age that it typically first presents, early childhood. YouTube, Reddit, Tumblr, TikTok, and Instagram all host popular social media influencers, today's version of Hollywood stars, who insist that if you feel uncomfortable in your body, you're probably trans. Many promise that if you start a course of testosterone, all of your problems will go away. There's every reason to believe that these girls are experiencing real psychological pain. Rates of anxiety, depression, and instances of self-harm are all at record levels for this generation. A quick fix becomes very tempting. So it doesn't take much, a YouTube video, a friend's suggestion, to get a troubled girl to buy into the fantasy that gender transition is the answer. Unfortunately for these girls who do not have typical gender dysphoria, gender transition rarely offers relief. And it's a catastrophic mistake for psychologists, educators, and the medical establishment to rush these teens towards a solution that will almost certainly harm rather than heal. Because here's what's not in dispute. Unnecessary medical gender transition causes irreversible damage, high risk of infertility, sexual dysfunction, and the creation of a permanent medical patient.
0: Make no mistake. And I point this out. I point this out in Narrative Wars. Make no mistake, this is a spiritual battle. She just outlined very clearly, Abigail Schreier, there are things that you cannot reverse when you go down this path. Things you cannot reverse. And one of them is that you may be infertile, infertile for the rest of your life. So if a woman changes her mind and says, oh, I want to go back to being a woman. I don't want to be a male anymore. In many cases, that person is infertile. That's it. They're done. And not only that, they become a medical dependent on these different hormones, drugs, so on and so forth for the rest of their lives. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's wonderful if you're big pharma. You got a customer for life. You just keep shoveling drugs. And it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because they're making money, they can take it to the bank, Big Pharma can. It doesn't matter that this person is infertile. In fact, the eugenicists love that because they think there's too many people on earth anyway. So you know, let's let's have less babies. You know, who cares? Who cares? That's another topic for a future show, Eugenics. But the point is, there is a point of no return. You get your breast cut off. You for girls, for boys, you get your penis cut off. That is permanent disfigurement. You 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 can't put humpty dumpty back together again. <laughs> you you can't put those body parts back on the same way that God made them. You're scarred for life. Literally scarred for life. You're you're hacked up. You're some kind of science project with, with scars and cut marks from the surgeon's scalpel. This thing is truly evil. This thing is truly demonic. And they're preying on young children and to allow this to happen while they're in their teens, in their early teens, is barbaric. This is absolutely barbaric. Now, there's a number of states that are passing laws that are saying, hey, you can't do this sort of gender transition surgery, this gender mutilation surgery. You can't give these sort of drugs which suppress one gender and then give other drugs to enhance the other gender. You can't do it until the person reaches the age of 18. So once they become a legal adult, you know, all right, knock yourself out. There is genuine trauma going on. But what's happening is these vicious social influencers are praying, they're grooming these children in order to convince them to make a stupid decision a foolish decision, a decision that will influence their lives and take them down that path of no return. And that's just criminal. That is absolutely criminal. And um, my heart breaks. My heart breaks. But parents, listen, if there's any parents listening, or perhaps you're an aunt or an uncle, do not let your children have cell phones early in life and once they do have a cell phone put a blocker on it so they can't get at these apps these destructive apps okay your tumblr your tiktok even your youtube and others it's these social influencers on these apps this is this is what's happening to our society and they're destroying the youth our society is only as strong as the next generation and if we raise up a generation of people that are hacked up and confused and don't know if they're male or female one day or another or, the, or they just say they're gender fluid you know one day they're a male one day they're a female what kind of society are we going to have what kind of society are we going to have it's time to move on to our next piece We're going to take a look at this piece, which regards Columbia Law School students outraged over fellow students meeting with Justice Kavanaugh. Now, this is interesting because earlier in today's program, we were looking at Alvin Bragg, the DA of the Manhattan, in the Manhattan system, legal system at the Manhattan Court. And we asked ourselves, when or or, or why do we see this sort of behavior occurring and really it occurs the trump derangement sin syndrome doesn't happen suddenly it's like a slow drip 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 and it happens at the universities at the elite law schools okay such as columbia law schools so there were students at the columbia law school that wanted to meet justice kavanaugh and they went uh, to Washington D.C. They met him and they had a conversation with him. And um, but what happened was, when they returned to the Columbia Law School campus, um, there was this huge backlash. Backlash. So um, taking a look at this article, Columbia Law School students outraged over fellow students meeting with Justice Kavanaugh. So now, so now it's a it's a crime in the minds of other students, for you to meet a Supreme Court justice and have a conversation because ideologically you're opposed to Kavanaugh. I read from the article, Columbia Law School students have condemned in an Instagram photograph of fellow students meeting with Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh in Washington, D.C., during a February visit. Okay, this article was put out April 4th, 2023. Very interesting, the same day that uh, Trump was indicted. There was this huge flipper flap, all right, kerfluffle, that occurred at Columbia Law School. The photograph was posted last month with Justice Kavanaugh surrounded by more than a, a dozen students who were part of Columbia Federalist Society. Quote, during the visit, they learned about the human side of being a justice, the court's deliberation process, and how to be an effective advocate. That's what the caption read. And other students commented. Other students, th- there, there were just a plethora of student groups on, on campus that came out and just condemned. Condemned these students at Columbia Law School for taking a field trip as part of the federalist society and there's a student chapter apparently at Columbia Law School and they they got all upset they got all upset columbia law school student devon malone commented that he was disappointed to see a school platforming an organization that leverages dark money to capture the courts referring to the Federalist Society, a libertarian legal group. Mr. Malone did not immediately respond to a request for comment from the Washington Times. National Lawyers Guild and Empowering Women of Color were two groups that targeted the Federalist Society members for posing in the photos. So now so, so now, if you pose in a photo next to a supreme court justice you're going to be bullied you're going to be bullied on the campus of columbia law school and that's the whole point the whole point is not diversity of thought the whole point is not pluralism the whole point is not to allow any dissension there's only one narrative you have to agree with us you have to be woke you have to be progressive You cannot, you cannot, by any means, agree that it was a good thing to toss out Roe v. Wade. And you certainly can't stand next to a justice that had something to do with Roe v. Wade getting overturned. No, you can't do that. There's only one narrative allowed at Columbia Law School, and that is the woke narrative. And that's sad. Once again, that's our program for today, everyone. Until next time, fellow lovers of liberty, may the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm your host, Dr. Jeffrey K. Lyons, and this has been another episode of Narrative Wars. We the people are sick and tired, so tired.